You know, when Jared asked me to preach this Sunday, I was really excited until yesterday morning I woke up and remembered that this morning is daylight saving time. Uh, and I was immediately less excited, but nonetheless still excited. So Jared, thank you so much for uh, allowing me to uh, fill the pulpit this morning. Um, I've been so blessed, as I'm sure you have been as well, by our expositional study through the book of Matthew. It's been um, so incredible to hear uh, and learn more about the kingdom of God uh, through a person, through Jesus. And so this morning, I have a question, one simple question. What do you think of when you hear the word rest? What do you think of when you hear the word rest? If you're a parent with toddlers, you think uh, non-existent, right? Never, ever, ever, never, ever, never, ever. 18 years from now, maybe. If you're a college student, maybe you think when I get to sleep past noon, that's what I think of when I think of rest. Maybe we have some outdoors people that think of, I am not any more restful than when I am in the woods hunting or when I'm on the lake fishing. Or in the culture that we live in now, the epitome of rest is being able to sit on the couch and to binge whatever on Netflix or whatever on Hulu whatever on Disney Plus or Paramount Plus or Peacock or, and the list just keeps going and going and going and going. Webster's defines rest as this. Rest is when we cease working or movement in order to relax, refresh oneself, or recover strength. So where do you find your rest and if you're anything like me, and all those things that I just named, when it's over, I still feel tired. I still feel exhausted. I still feel like, hey, I, I just want another episode to come on. I wish I could have another hour of sleep. I wish I could have another day on the lake. Because that rest is not meant to completely satisfy the exhaustion of our soul. Know that that rest that we're desiring is only found in one place, and it's a person. And this morning in our text, we're going to see that Jesus provides Sabbath rest for those in God's kingdom. Jesus, and Jesus alone, provides Sabbath rest for those in God's kingdom. If you have your Bible or an iPad or, or the like, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, continuing uh, our study through the book of Matthew, we leave Matthew 11 and, and start in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. But before we get started this morning, I want us to maybe refresh our memory, okay? So a lot of you in here might know a little bit about what the Sabbath is, but Others might have no idea. You just heard this word occasionally used on a Sunday morning. So I want to answer this question. What is the Sabbath? What was its intention? What's its purpose? We see all the way back in Genesis 2 that God created everything, heavens and earth, in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. Right? This idea of the Hebrew language, a Sabbath. It's taking a break. It's being completely rested. And that carried along with his people until it was manifested in, in God's law that he gave to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Moses, writing down what the Lord said, 
wrote this in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see, God not only created the Sabbath for us, but he commanded the Sabbath to us. It's a day of rest, a day of holiness, so that we can take a break from the labor that we had, a a break from the, the daily burdens that we have as working beings. Now that we know what the Sabbath is and we're all on the same page, let's get into Matthew chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence which it is not lawful for him to eat nor those who are with him but only for the priests or have you not read in the law how on the sabbath the priests in the temple profane the sabbath and are guiltless I tell you something greater than the temple is here and if you had known what this means I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned these guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus went on from there and entered into the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. And Jesus said to them, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. This morning, we're going to see three occurrences in the text that's going to help us uh, better shape our understanding of the Sabbath. Three occurrences that are going to better shape our understanding of the Sabbath. The first is this, the distortion of the Pharisees' interpretation. The distortion of the Pharisees' interpretation. Now remember what I just said like three minutes ago. Remember what the Sabbath intention was, what the Sabbath purpose was for God's people. And now listen to what it became under the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees They developed these extensive extra-biblical traditions in order to help the people to be able to apply the Word of God or the law of God to their daily lives. Uh, This idea of they built a fence around God's law so that people wouldn't even come close to transgressing the law, especially the Sabbath. And these laws, this fence around the law, is known as the Talmud. It's the central text of the rabbinic Jews. And it's the primary source of religious laws. There's so many laws in the Talmud. There's 24 chapters devoted to the Sabbath. 24 chapters. 
I'm going to give you 39 examples of what is exempt on the Sabbath. Are you ready? Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, sifting, grinding, sifting with a sieve, kneading, baking, shearing the wool, washing it, beating it, dyeing it, spinning, putting in the weaver's beam, making two threads, weaving two threads, separating two threads, making a knot, undoing a knot, sewing two stitches, tearing in order to sew two, two stitches, catching a deer, killing a deer, skinning a deer, salting a deer, extinguishing a fire, lighting the fire, beating with a hammer, carrying from one possession to another, and on and on and on for 24 chapters. This law that the Pharisees gave became a heavy burden to the people. And this is exactly what Jesus was addressing in Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. Yes, I know that you are, yoke, you, are, you are linked to a yoke right now that is heavy and burdensome. And this is exactly what the Pharisees brought upon the people. You see, the Pharisees removed the joy and the rest that was intended for the Sabbath. And when the Sabbath came, the rules that they had put in place made it more difficult to rest than it was to work on the other six days. So how did the Pharisees distort the law? They did it in three ways. Number one, they added to the requirements of the law. They added to the requirements of the law. I love this quote from a biblical scholar. He says this, the rules that the Pharisees enacted to the Sabbath are like mountains hanging by a hair. For where scripture was scanty, the rules were many. God's purpose for the Sabbath was simple. It was rest and holiness. And these Pharisees created a mountain of regulations to follow. And you see, Jesus and his disciples came under fire from the Pharisees for seemingly harmless acts they committed here in chapter 12. Right, The disciples... Catch this, just by plucking heads of grain to eat broke four laws on the Sabbath. What did they do? They reaped, they threshed, they winnowed, and they prepared food, all in one small little action. Not only that, but in verses 9 through 14, Jesus healing the man with a withered hand, why can't he do that? Because the man wasn't a proper candidate for healing on the Sabbath. It was not a life or death moment. So Jesus had no right healing this man according to the Pharisees' interpretation. How distorting is that to God's law? Not only did they add to the requirements of the law, but they ignored the exceptions of the law. They'd moved so far away from the law that they were no longer interacting with the law. Jesus cites two examples from the Old Testament to show where there are instances where people profane the Sabbath, yet they are held guiltless. He names David and his men as David is escaping King Saul in 1 Samuel 21. And he also uh, cites what priests do every Sabbath day by working. They profane the Sabbath. However, God gives them exception in Numbers chapter 28. By adding to the Sabbath, they were also ignoring the exceptions provided for the Sabbath. And in doing these two things, Here's the number three thing that they did in order to distort the Sabbath, the interpretation of the Sabbath. They missed the very heart of the law. By adding, by ignoring, they missed the very heart of the law that God gave. You see, 
You see, they were so committed to the restrictions of their rules that they missed the true purpose of the Sabbath. They viewed sacrifice, as we see in verse 7, as more important than mercy. They viewed religious ritual way above loving kindness and steadfast love. That's why when the disciples plucked heads of grain, they condemned them. They also viewed abstaining from activity more important than doing good. And that's why they condemned Jesus for healing the man with a withered hand. In the parallel account to Matthew 12, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus says this to the Pharisees. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The intention was never for man to serve the law, but for the law to serve man. This is what Jesus has been talking about all through the book of Matthew. And this is why Jesus came to give them a better yoke, an easier yoke, a lighter yoke. You see, the Pharisees' interpretation of the law distorted the true meaning of the Sabbath and it burdened the people. Number two, the second occurrence, we see the declaration of Jesus' authority. The declaration of Jesus' authority. This has been happening all throughout the book of Matthew. Matthew is purposely writing this to be able to draw this out, that Jesus has all authority. And Jesus declares his authority here by addressing the Pharisees in this passage by asking them a series of questions. Verses 3 through 5, and then again in verse 11. In verses 3 through 5, Jesus basically says, Hey, Pharisees, you have read the law, haven't you? Then how are you missing this? You see, Jesus follows up these questions, these series of questioning by making two bold claims in this passage. And we read these and we think, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's what Jesus is. These are monumental claims in Jesus' time for him to be able to say what he says. The first one is in verse six. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Now, Jesus is using a rabbinical form of arguing, moving from a lesser statement to a greater statement. He's saying, hey, if David and his men could profane the Sabbath without uh, guilt, if the priests can profane the Sabbath every week by serving in the, the temple, then how much more can my disciples profane the Sabbath because of who I am? Okay, you see what he's doing there? He's the greater David and he's the greater priest, and he's greater than the temple. Number two, Jesus in verse eight says this, for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Right, it's important to note here, and Jesus is really careful to say this all throughout Matthew. He's not challenging the law. Jesus is not challenging the law. No, Jesus is challenging the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. Because Jesus did not come to take away the law, to nullify the law. 
No, he came to fulfill the law. And that's why he's pressing against, pushing back against the Pharisees' interpretation. How is he able to interpret the law better than the Pharisees? It's because he has the authority to do so because he's Lord of the Sabbath. He's the son of man. He's greater than the temple. Jesus is saying this when he says what he says in verses six through eight. He says, because of who I am, I have the authority to interpret the law. Remember, I'm the one who wrote this law. It's literally what Jesus is saying. He's, he's making these messianic claims to these Pharisees. And this passage, as, as rich as it is, gives us yet another view of the, the authority of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And this leads to our final occurrence in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. We see the declaration of Jesus' authority, and then we see the demonstration of Jesus' deity. When Jesus and his disciples enter the synagogue, they encounter a man with a withered hand. Now, we don't know if this is leprosy or if it's a stub or, or what it is. Matthew, for whatever reason, doesn't want to give us more details than that. But what we do know is that the Pharisees were testing Jesus. They were testing him. Look at what it says in, in 9 and 10. He went on from there and entered whose synagogue? Their synagogue, okay? And then a man was there with a withered hand, and they, who is they? The Pharisees, asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? The ultimate test, right? They love to test Jesus all throughout the Gospels. But we're gonna see how he responds to this. Jesus responds not by saying anything, but by asking a question. And the question's really simple. This is the, basically the meaning of this question. Is it better to do good on the Sabbath or is it better to abstain from activity on the Sabbath? Is it better to do good or is it better to abstain from activity? You see, Jesus answers his own question in word and deed. Y'all see that? He answers his own question in word by speaking and in deed by healing, which confirms the idea that it's better to do good on the Sabbath. You see, in this healing, Jesus demonstrates that he is God by doing something that God had already done. This is what Matthew do, does time and time again throughout his book. He's, he's screaming at his Jewish audience, causing them to look back at a number of key figures, but primarily Moses. You think Moses is great. There's a greater Moses that has come because this Moses is the I am. Look, look at what uh, Matthew writes in verse 13. Jesus, when healing the man, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. It was restored, healthy like the other. You see, the, the Jewish audience would have immediately been taken back to Exodus chapter 3. Just by that phrase, Exodus chapter 3. Remember, when Moses encounters God in the burning bush and Mo God calls Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, 
Moses, being a little bit timid, a little bit insecure, asks God for some signs and some confirmation, you know, God, to, to help me out so that the people will know that you sent me. And so what does God do? do? God tells Moses, lay down your staff, I'll turn it into a snake. Pick it up, it's a staff again. And then what's the second thing he does? Listen to Exodus chapter four, verses six and seven. Again, the Lord said to Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. The way that Matthew has written this passage is to scream on top of the mountaintop, to say, hey, this Jesus guy, he has all authority. Why? Because he's greater than Moses, because he's literally, I am. In the same way that I am healed, according to Moses and in the interaction with Moses, so this I am is healing today. Not only does Jesus demonstrate his deity by healing here in the way that he healed, but he also heals without breaking Old, Te Old Testament Sabbath laws or Pharisee restrictions. Think about it. Jesus doesn't stretch out his own hand. Jesus doesn't touch the man. Jesus doesn't try to lift up the man. Jesus heals the man simply by speaking. And the man was restored. Muscles, skin, bones, fingernails, all because it was Yahweh who healed. This demonstration of his deity here in verses 9 through 14 also confirms the fact that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. His demonstration of his deity also confirms his declaration of his authority in verses 1 through 8. And because of that, he has the ability to rightly interpret the Sabbath. What a powerful passage this is that declares Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And as you're sitting there this morning, I'm, I'm sure a couple of questions are coming to your mind. Well, number one, Corey, I don't have a withered hand, so how does this pertain to me? Number two, I, I'm not living in Israel 2,000 years ago, I'm not one of Jesus' disciples trying to pluck heads of grain, so what in the world does this mean to me? So we have to ask the question of this text, how do we respond to this text? Response number one, repent. Our first response to this text should be to repent. You see, in this story, brothers and sisters, we're not the man with the withered hand, we're not the disciples of Jesus, and we're sure not Jesus himself. We're the Pharisees. Because of the brokenness of this world, we've all been born with a little Pharisee in us. We're born with a legalistic heart that wants nothing more than to earn our way to heaven, to earn the favor of God by our good works and our good words. You see, we're paralyzed by the idea of if I pray enough or if I read my Bible enough or if I come to worship enough or if I help enough people or if I go on enough mission trips, then surely I'll have merit in the sight of the Lord. That's a heavy, heavy burden. 
that yoke is not light and that yoke is not easy. You might be here this morning thinking, man, Corey, that sounds exactly like me. And to you, I very lovingly say, repent. Repent. Repent from the sin of thinking that you can do enough to earn favor in the sight of the Lord. Not, don't only repent, but turn to Jesus who is calling. He's saying, come. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if that's you this morning, he's waiting. He hears your cry and he is faithful. You see, Jesus in this passage wants his people, the people that he loves, to unhitch themselves from the heavy, burdensome yoke of legalism and to joyfully submit to the light, easy yoke of following Jesus. Jesus wants you to come to him and he's waiting for you to do so. So will you do that this morning? Second response, for those of us who are in Christ, recalibrate. Recalibrate. You might be thinking, how in the world did you get that word? Well, it's because it's another R, okay? And this is what, this is what it means. <laughs> recalibrate. No doubt the Pharisees practice of adding to the law started with good intentions. The whole intention of the Talmud was to prevent the people from transgressing the law. But before they realized it, it got out of hand and the very things that they were obeying and listening to and being taught was as far away from the word of God as it could be. And so their measuring stick was misplaced. For some of you this morning, you need to recalibrate your measuring stick. It's not what social media tells you. It's not what good books tell you. It's not what your mom or dad told you. It's not what you see on TV. The measuring stick is the very word of God that he's revealed for the good of his people. And if you're adding to this, then you need to repent and recalibrate. Because the word of God, brothers and sisters, is all sufficient. We don't need to add to it. It is literally the breath of God. If this is you, don't worry. That's why, the God, that's why God has given us this local church. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings. That's why we have ABFs. That's why we have small groups. That's why we break into smaller groups called discipleship groups so that we can make sure that we're constantly recalibrating each other so that the measuring stick never leaves the word of God. You can repent. You can recalibrate. Thirdly, rest. You see, from the beginning, from Genesis 2, the Sabbath was meant to point to something greater than a 24-hour period of time. You see, when you read from Genesis to Revelations, when you when you read the totality of God's word, we realize that God's Sabbath for us is not a day, it's a person. You see that? You see what Jesus is doing here? It's not a day, it's in me, Jesus 
is saying. And Hebrews 4 is the definitive passage regarding Jesus as our Sabbath rest. It's up on the screen. Hebrews 4, verses 9 through 11. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. You see, there is no other Sabbath rest outside the person of Jesus. And he was able to provide that to us because of his accomplished work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And now if you are in Christ, you have the most wonderful yoke there is. It's a easy yoke. It's a light yoke and it's a restful yoke. You see the Pharisees turned the day of worship into a day of worry and a day of rest into a day of ritual. Jesus came to flip that on its head. To, to reprovide that day of worship and reprovide that day of rest. Jesus and Jesus alone satisfied the requirements of the law, and, uh, of the law, and Jesus and Jesus alone provided the sacrifice that atoned for our sin. Because of that, God's kingdom is not a kingdom of striving. God's kingdom is a kingdom of rest. And if you're in Christ and you're striving this morning, you don't have to. You don't have to. And if you're not in Christ this morning and you're striving, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to. Because one has come to provide you rest, not only now, but eternally. So this morning, we can respond by repenting, by recalibrating, by resting, and then lastly, rejoicing. We can rejoice. You see, for Christians, the Sabbath, the Lord's Day, is a sign of redemption, and it depicts the fact that our eternal state is going to be an eternal rest because of the salvation that we have received in Jesus. The, the day where we gather, which is Sunday for us, is an opportunity for us to remember the work of Jesus and the rest that we have in him. That's why we sing the songs that we sing. That's why we preach the word of God the way that we preach the word of God. That's why we observe the ordinances the way that we observe the ordinances because we as a people can come together because we are a people of rest. And this morning, we have the great opportunity to observe the Lord's Supper together as a people that can look to the table, not as a working table, but as a table of rest because of what Jesus did. And we can do this in remembrance of him as a people that are resting. Jesus provides Sabbath rest for those in God's kingdom. You grateful for that this morning? Let's pray. Father, we 
are so grateful for the rest that you have provided in your son, Jesus. Lord, the fact that we no longer, um, God, have to work, Father, but that the work has been accomplished on our behalf in a person. And that person's name is Jesus. Lord, we're grateful for the rest, God, the, the lightness, the easiness of the yoke of discipleship, the yoke of following Jesus. Would you help us be a church that doesn't try to add to a measuring stick, Father, but sticks to your word and to your son's yoke? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.